Now let me share one thing that maybe you don't know about us, especially if you've only been with us for a few months or a couple years. We're not into buildings at Bergen Park Church. You go, what? What do you mean you're not into buildings? We're really not into buildings. We're not into branding. We're not into logos, though. Uh, We're not into a lot of things that it seems we're caught up in right now. And the reason why I want to tell you that is because you're new and so much of our information and so many of our announcements are dealing with the migration to the new facility, and we are really excited about it. But we're bigger than that, and we hope that as you come to us, you're bigger than that. We realize that as the community looks at us, that all they can see is the visible thing of what's going on over there. And all of my neighbors have talked to me, and they're just really excited for me, and I think most of them are surprised uh, more than anything else. And, and so... Um, they, they drive by there by the thousands, thousands of cars drive by there every day, and they see that for the last 10 months that's been going up. So they think that we are into buildings. But let me take you back. In 2008, a group of people got together here, and they said, you know, it's not that we don't like our facility, but there's 20 things this facility doesn't do. And they listed those as, as a priority and, and, you know, at the top was room for the community and, and, uh, room for our kids and, and spaces to, um, uh, to talk to one another instead of the line at the restrooms. You know, we had all of these things that we listed and we said, uh, you know, it's not that, uh, that moving is essential. Staying here would be a lot cheaper, but it's very limited and we're limited in the ministry we can have. So as our community is talking about our facility, understand that it is one of the events in this community that is something worth talking about. Because they mentioned, well, how can a church your size do this? And why did you take on such a big project? And and, and how are you going to pay for it? And they're asking all these things, and believe me, I've got all the answers ready for them. What I'm saying about is that's what they think we're into. But friends, what we want to be doing is using that facility to talk about Jesus. Because he is something worth talking about. And in comparison, you know, you might say that big building is only like a little newborn kitten compared to us being able to talk about the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The one who died for our sins and rose from the grave. That is something worth talking about and that is something that will last much longer. So today I want to, as we're talking about Help Wanted, I want to get into this subject, what is worth talking about? And understand, um, this is not just about us, but the desire to talk about stuff uh, in our community and and throughout history, to to, to talk about stuff that is really not of great substance and not very historic, certainly not eternal. It's a part of us. I mean, even in the day of Jesus, when he is teaching his disciples about what's about to happen to him, uh, he's talking to them about he's going to be handed over there in Jerusalem, and, and there he is teaching in, in, in the temple courts and, and what's going to happen to him. And so as they're strolling out of the temple courts, they walk by the temple itself and the superstructure and the, and the ramps and everything around it, and the disciples look at it and say, Lord, these are really beautiful stones. 
I don't think I've ever seen a better rock in my life. I mean, perfectly cut. It just fits right into the other one. Isn't it amazing? What a great place we're in. And Jesus very kindly but forthrightly tells them, you think these are great? Guess what? Before some of you die, there won't be one stone left on top of another. And it's happened more than once in Jerusalem. It could happen again. So, you know, here they are looking at the facility, but Jesus wants them to know it's, it's a temple. That's all it is. It's a temple. It's a, it's a superstructure. What happens is what's going on in the people that counts. So the temple was a wonder, the most notable feature in all of Jerusalem. But Jesus' reply is it's temporary. The temple ultimately was not something to talk about. But friends, Jesus is. A long time ago, about 30 years after Jesus, Paul had the same insight and he expressed it in a different way. And he compares the death of Jesus on the cross to his own achievements in life. You see, achievements are important. We love to, to have them. We don't want to be insignificant. We want to be people of, <coughs> excuse me, of progress who are, who are getting things done in our lives. And Paul could honestly say, of all the Jews that have ever lived, at least of all the ones I know, I'm pretty much the best of the best. He could go on to say that when you look at what a good Jew would be, a good Jew would be smart, a good Jew would be devout, a good Jew would be uh, persuasive, a good Jew would be accomplished, a good Jew would be celebrated for all the things he's accomplished, and a good Jew would be very moral. And Paul is a Jew's Jew. And he can say, these are the achievements that I've been able to, to, to accomplish in my life. And with all these several accomplishments, what he's trying to say is, but they're nothing worth talking about. He's, it's not that he's... He has a certain pride in them, but their value has decreased. He's saying is they don't matter as much as they used to when I am comparing myself and my accomplishments to what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. He writes a little paragraph to people who are under great uh, stress and confusion as to what it means to follow Christ. And in Galatians chapter 6, uh, he gives them some, uh, some thoughts of how they're being deceived and how they're going back to the, the old way of thinking of human achievements versus what we have in Christ's achievements. So he says in uh, Galatians chapter 6, and I begin at verse 12, he says, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, they could say, by, by talking about persecution, I mean, about circumcision, they'll think that we are Jews and you are Jews and we won't be um, persecuted for a faith in Christ, which says that circumcision doesn't matter anymore. So they're doing this for themselves so they have an easier life. Let's go on. Um, then he says... Verse 13, not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
Therefore, or neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Well, that is something he says is worth talking about. It's something to talk about. It's very important. And what he's getting at is that real Christians do certain things, and and, and these people who are coming in and saying, you've got to go back to the old diets, no bacon. You've got to go back to, to the practice of circumcision for the men. Uh, that, these are the things that are going to make you a true follower of Jesus Christ. And these false teachers wanted to brag about, if you do this, you're going to reach a new level of goodness or righteousness in your life. And, and secondly, they wanted to brag about how many they had convinced. You see what they're getting at? By doing this, we are changing the quality of your life and we are changing the quantity of those who are following us in our teaching. Quality and quantity. That doesn't matter anymore, does it? Of course it matters. Every business you're in, whether you're a pilot or a garbage collector or a teacher, you want quality and quantity count. These things are universal and timeless as far as humanity goes. He tries to get them to move beyond that. So these false teachers are bragging about the new goodness that they achieve and and how many they've convinced and, and understand that they're dealing with very human motivations. They're not the ones that Paul refers to that are shaping his heart and, 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 and the things that, you know, when he turned his faith over into Jesus Christ, began to transform him. And he finds all these uh, achievements that he can uh, boast about, they don't matter as much anymore. So a deep conviction, uh, it's not now that he boasts in anything else solely in the cross of Christ. Back to verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So, you know, think about the things that we have achieved in life. I, I, I work in a denomination or a group of churches that says they're very well educated. Okay, education's important. And I know as I talk to many of you, you have more degrees in Fahrenheit, and it's wonderful. <laughs> Your wealth comes... Also, with much risk and hard work. Your education meant study. You had to pass. They just don't give out degrees. Your wealth came the same way. Hard work, the possessions. If you call them possessions, that means they're paid for. Otherwise, they're not your possessions. The vacations you take, the home or homes that you own, the cars that you drive. Let's get into the quality of your life, the morality that you practice, even the faith that you live. They've all taken effort. And they've all meant you had to work at them to achieve. They're not all evil. They're not narcissistic. They're not status-seeking. They are the natural rewards for your efforts. What Paul is trying to say is, it's not that they don't mean anything, but he has a scale here. And he says, which weighs the heaviest? Everything I've achieved though it used to weigh very heavily, and I think I have earned God's acceptance and God's love, now as I look at the cross of Christ and his suffering on it, the scale has been tipped. Now what weighs the most? 
What weighs the most is when I look at what Christ has done for me. So he's saying these accomplishments that we have achieved in our lives, they're okay. Now this may be hard to swallow for some, but I want you to focus for just a moment on what God has accomplished with Christ suffering on his cross. Imagine a dry sponge and water being poured over it and it just, it, it, it just you know, going from shrivel to being full. What Jesus did on his cross is he absorbed all of the justice that would have been held against you. He absorbed all the judgment that would have been yours for the life that you lived. You might say, I'm pretty good. Yeah, but you're not that good. He absorbed it onto himself. Another way to look at it is when you look at the penalty that we deserve for our sins, the things that we did against humanity and the things against God, when you look at what those penalties should be, there was a transfer that took place. Instead of us paying the penalty, they were transferred onto Jesus Christ and he took them all. So Paul is saying, when I think of all that I've achieved for myself versus what Christ has achieved for me, what sort of comparison can I draw? This all is what Christ has done for me. They're transferred, the penalty for my sins, eternal separation from God was transferred onto him. So when Jesus dies on his cross, he achieves for those who accept it a standing with God that we could never earn or deserve on our own. Now that's hard to swallow because most of us have worked diligently to get everything. And we've earned it and we believe we deserve it. And I've heard you say wonderful things about your life. Not bragging, but just saying, let me share some comments I've heard from you. Winning her love was the hardest thing I've ever done. I, I think that's a great phrase. Keeping it would have been harder, but I mean, winning it was, you know... Or how about this? I was able to pay cash for that luxury car. Or this, I will be able to retire and live comfortably before I'm 60. Or how about this? I was known as the hardest worker and the most respected employee at my work. Or how about this? I have raised three perfect children. Uh, I'm sorry. You haven't said that. Okay. Because of the gene pool they have from you, all right? (laughs) But none of us can ever say, my perfect life means God has to love and accept me. We can't say that. It was Jesus Christ suffering on his cross that secured your forgiveness and God's acceptance of you. So in verse 15, he goes on to say, don't you understand it's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision that means anything? Now, that's a term we won't want to use much today or any other time, uh, but, but you, can, you can fill in the blanks. You take out circumcision and uncircumcision, and you just fill in the blanks of things that were important to you. Like, for example, neither wealth nor poverty mean anything. Neither... Uh, uh, you know, a PhD degree or a GED mean nothing. They don't mean anything. Uh, 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 whether I own a canoe or a yacht, it means nothing. What counts is the new creation. If you were to fill in the blanks, what would you fill in there where you say, you know, I, 
I must admit, this this was very attractive. I went after it. I earned it. It's nice to have it. Um, maybe a reputation that you have or a business that you built, all these things. But compared to Jesus or, let's say, the business you built versus the business you closed and failed, they mean nothing. What counts is the new creation. What Jesus Christ accomplishes on his cross is new people restored to God. New people, a new creation. Now, Paul uses this same idea when he writes this, this secular uh, new band of Christians in Corinth. And, and, he, and, and he's, he's, he's saying, placing your trust in Jesus Christ means that in Christ, in other words, you come into Christ, and once you are a, a, follower, a believer in Christ and begin to follow him, you are a, now a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. You are a new spiritual uh, being. You may not feel like you're real new, but it's the, this is what God has done through his son, through his son's suffering on the cross. And here's what begins to happen. I, I believe that, you know, for me, even though I've been working on this for two centuries, uh, the 20th and the 21st, <laughs> what he says there is, um, the, you know, you're dead to the world and the world is dead to you back in verse 14. What he's saying is the attraction and the pull and the magnetism and the power and the influence. All of these things begin to be altered, to change. So the things that seemed most important because of the world you were in suddenly begin to decrease. That is saying... Over time, for most of us, for some it's instantaneous, but over time, for most of us, the old is gone. The new has come because the new creation is expressing itself, demonstrating itself in the core values that are being carried around by each new creation. So this life offers a brokenness and, and, and then the idea that the pull or the influence decreases in your life. Now, I pray that's just not a statement uh, that is biblically true, but that is experientially true for each of you. I pray that as you have followed Jesus longer, what you boast about has begun to change. The ultimate value of what you have achieved is little compared to what Jesus has achieved for you. When we first moved to Australia, I, I was um, taken around by, by the pastor to many of the adult leadership. And as they introduced themselves, I usually asked, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. And almost every adult male talked about the work that he was involved in. And there were many in the insurance company, and they valued uh, their, their position there by the number by the amount of checks not not the number of checks but they would say well i you know i i, I filed i mean I, I signed off on claims for about 30 million last year and others who heard that went ooh 30 million that's ooh that's pretty big i only did 17 so that person was what heavier by 13 million dollars than the others what paul is saying is It's not that that's bad. It just doesn't matter as much anymore. The attractions begin to change. The ultimate value of what you have achieved compares little to what Christ has achieved for you. 
So now the issue is when honor is supposed to be coming to me, I want to make sure that honor is being given to Christ and what he's done. What will that look like? You know, it, it, it's, it's what I call a transformation of the core values of your life. It may happen slowly. It may happen uh, continually. It may happen instantaneously. But what happens is what God treasures, as you are in his word, you find that you begin to treasure. Uh, uh, sometimes I want you to know even Christians get it wrong because they look at what God treasures and they pick one thing but don't see the balance of what he's talking about. One of the most influential Christian books I read was the daughter of a man who started a, a ministry to orphans uh, after World War II. Tons of orphans. After the Korean War, even more tons of orphans. And, and so he devoted his life to caring for the orphans, making sure they were alive and even adopted. Uh, and, and literally tens of thousands brought over to the United States. And so as he devoted his life to that, he saw it was growing and becoming more and more important. And he gave this prayer to God. And it is word for word true because it was in his own words. Lord, I will look after your orphans if you will look after mine, meaning his wife and his children. For a while, everybody was saying, what a guy. But he got it wrong. His daughter recently, uh, some time ago, wrote this book about him. And, and she, uh, she ended with this. What my dad never knew was that God never agreed to the bargain. It was a wonderful value. But God didn't say, give up the kids to care for the orphans. He was trying to tell him, you can do both. And if you don't have enough to care for all the orphans, I bet there's people who will help. So he did that and he lost, lost his family and they all paid a great cost and he paid a great cost himself. Here's what I'm saying. God is asking you to show ways in which you will honor him in your life. Simple as that. That's our, you know, that's our mission statement. God is asking you to show ways in which you will honor him with your life. And the way that you will honor him or I will honor him could be very different. But the idea is that all the things that seemed of greatest importance are decreasing in value. And Christ is increasing in value. Let me share and applaud you for what you've done these last few years. You've given generously to this project of a new facility. I applaud you and I've joined in with you. And I know you'll continue to do so. You have prayed along with me and you've seen God answer many of our prayers. And that's wonderful. And God wants to continue to answer our prayers. And many of you discovered, okay, I'm going to start praying for this. And lo and behold, what you discovered was God said yes, and then God said, I'm, I'm the answer. And you didn't know that at the beginning, but you know it now. You've signed up uh, very, you know, very generously again with our migration and celebration of the new facility. And it's going to be a wonderful, and I want you to say this, it's going to be a party. Okay? It's going to be a party. We're not going to have processions with incense burners and things like that. We're going to affect our community with a party. And we wanted them to see it that way. I applaud you for all that you've done. 
Now here's what I'm asking next. That you, as the people of God at Bergen Park Church, would enter into a season of reflection and evaluation in terms of what you really honor in your lives. Paul was saying, in, 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 as he spoke to the Corinthians that, and also to the Philippians, there's a surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. And that was his most valued treasure, surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to ask you, sometime this week, consider your treasures. Would you do that? Just consider them. Probably some things come to the, you know, come to the forefront right away. Probably some things as you look around your, your home or your work or, or other places, maybe they will come to you. Consider your treasures. Some will be people. Some will be things. Some of you have cherished memories from your past that have shaped your life. I'm simply saying consider them. Look at them. Hold them. Hug them. And simply this prayer, following that, Jesus is more valuable than these. Jesus is more valuable than these. Jesus and what he did, suffering on his cross, is more valuable now and more valuable for eternity than these. So here's the help wanted issue I want you to deal with this week. Would you pray this week about how you can use this building as a way to talk to people, not about the building, but about God and His Son? Uh, I have a 10-minute illustration. It won't work today. I'll share it next week. But lo and behold, I was faced this very week with with someone that wanted to talk to me about the building. And he he said the most natural human thing. I should have seen it coming. and, 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 And I did. And I'll share that with you next week. Come, please. But would you pray this week about how you can use this building as a way to talk to people about God and His Son, Jesus? That's something to talk about. He's something to talk about. How do you turn the conversation around? How, How do you just ask a question or make a comment that will make them go, Oh, okay, didn't think about that. Now, I want to do one more thing that you'll say I rarely do and, and probably have never done and since you've been attending Bergen Park Church. I want to end early. <laughs> but I want to end this way. Before we sing the next song, I'm simply going to take off my watch and I'm going to ask for two minutes in which you begin this process. Two minutes in which you would consider your treasures. Just consider them. It's the beginning, not the end, but just two minutes in which you consider your treasures. And would you then talk to God about how much Jesus is worth talking about? Let's pray. Silently. Consider your treasures. Talk to God. Consider your treasures. You've worked hard for them. They've meant sweat, humiliation, long hours, 
Consider your treasures. They have meant investment. They've meant doing some things you would rather not do and giving up some things you'd rather do. They've meant being interrupted and letting the consequential thing float to the top and what you thought was consequential take a back seat. Consider your treasures. Know how much you've given to them. And now compare them to the suffering of Jesus Christ on his cross and the fact that he accomplished there something that you could never accomplish without him. Forgiveness for your sins. Acceptance by God. Being adopted into his family forever. Eternal life in heaven. Consider your treasures. And consider Jesus. Someone worth talking about. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.